0: changing the circumstances of our lives takes action it's not the thinking it's not the theorizing it's not the planning but it's the daily progress towards your goals my guest today is a real man of action i've watched jeff putnam execute the steps necessary to level up into a top tier well-rounded man by following his passions and executing every day he has changed the future for himself and his family Today's episode is full of examples of a man earning victory. So please enjoy the Men's Victory Alliance with Jeff Putnam.
1: Your life is an opportunity. We live deliberately, relentlessly pursuing our goals. We don't settle for mediocrity. We aspire to greatness. We are mindful of the process, but we demand results. We embrace our role as leaders and we lead by example. There is no finish line. We are leveling up every day until the end. We will win together.
0: Welcome to the MVA show. I am going to dive right in because my guest today has so much going on that I don't want to waste a moment. Uh, many of my listeners know Jeff Putnam, the prolific writer. You see him on Twitter at ruggedlegacy and also on paper, author of books like Empire Divided and The Perimeter, and a lot of other books that we don't know about because smart people pay Jeff to ghostwrite for them. You may have seen Jeff taking frigid ice baths or followed along with his pursuit in boxing or his powerlifting or his homesteading or his race of nine children i gotta stop and hand it over to our guest today jeff putnam what's going on man not a whole lot brother just out here enjoying the weather i don't believe you not a whole lot you got so <laughs> much going on that there's it's a million questions to ask you know and Yeah.
2: while we're you're going through the info i'm closing out like 47 open tabs on my laptop so.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that that's what I was expecting. You um you always have a lot going on just from knowing you, we're members together in the Fraternity of Excellence, but then also just following you on Twitter, seeing the pictures you post, you know, you can see all the real life. You're always driving for more, but I I guess we could start with the writing cuz that's what you're best known for. Were you always a writer growing up? How did you get started writing? Uh just tell me something about how you ended up where you are today.
2: I was a high school delinquent, right? I didn't pass like any class. I don't even think they gave me a diploma, to be honest. I think they gave me what was called a a certificate of completion. And then I did uh, this one correspondence thing. I took a test. They mailed me a diploma. Writing was something that I was always interested in, mainly because I like to read. Like I was that kid that my mom would have to kick me outside and be like, go play. And I'm like, all right. And so I would, you know, do the kid thing where I could stick the shirt under, you know, the, the book under my shirt, halfway into my waistband, the rest of it under my shirt, walk stiffly. So it's not like showing an outline, get outside and I just sit down under a tree or in a garage or something and read. But I just love stories. And it's funny, you know, I was like 12 years old when my uncle, my mom's brother gave me uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls by Hemingway. And this is right around the time, you know, you had computer labs at school. And so I'm on there. I'm like, who is Ernest Hemingway? I keep hearing his name. You know, it's a cool book. Uh, It's kind of like easy to read, but there's some concepts at 11, 12. I don't really understand, but I'm just curious about who he was. And so I'm using AOL and searching him. And I see these pictures. I'm like, he's a writer and he's got a machine gun and he's on a boat and he's shark hunting. I definitely want to be a writer. <laughs> because that sounds awesome, right? Uh, unfortunately, I don't hunt sharks with a machine gun now. I grew up here in the South, so it's like you got a couple of choices. You either go to a good college, you play ball, or you get a blue collar job. And I'm five foot six. I'm athletic. You know, I fought in golden gloves, but I- I'm not a ball player. I played baseball and ran track and uh, that in high school, but I was never like the standout athlete well i wouldn't last get picked for anything but i wasn't first either you know i was just like hey he's he's a body so i just went into blue collar work and then writing was limited to emails to my boss <laughs> things
0: like that dude the um the hemingway story now it's starting to all make sense i couldn't picture it until you put that visual in my head that makes a lot of sense uh, and the correspondence courses man that's me too. That's crazy. We both needed correspondence courses to graduate high school. And well, here's
2: the, here's the funny thing about the correspondence course. I didn't take it. I joined the Army when I was 17 in high school. And a contingency of me being able to maintain uh, my contract with the Army was to graduate so I could go on and continue doing shit in the Army. But I didn't. So my recruiter took the test, mailed that shit on, in under my name just so that part was done. Like I didn't even do that. So it was just one test. It was mailed in. And uh he's like, all right, cool, you passed.
0: Here you go. That's even better. I mean, the fact that both of us got through high school that way kind of says all we need to say about the public education. But um, yeah, man, that's that's a crazy, crazy road to where you are. What led you to writing Empire Divided? Did Twitter come before the books or did the books come before Twitter? How did that go?
2: Well, when I started my first company, uh Rugged Legacy Grooming Supply, you know, the, the beard stuff, I needed to learn. How to drive traffic to the website, and so I went into the into the Google box and started looking like, what do I do? How do I get customers? And it's like, well, you know, you could create content and drive people there, and you know, standard Google results. You need to write blogs. You need to market it on social media. So I was like, well, I'm too broke to pay for ads. So Twitter seems like a decent starting point because everything is free on Twitter, right? Unless you're paying for Twitter Blue, like you know, I do because it cuts down on ads. But, um, all right, I'm just going to market it on Twitter because Twitter, people see tweets no matter what, you know, everyone in the world can see them. It's not like Facebook where it's like, you get eight people from high school on on your friends list, which was like what I was. It's not a business if you can only sell something one time to your eight friends, right? And they're asking for discounts. So I'm just going to market the crap out of it on Twitter. And I was just tweeting like crazy, throwing shit at the wall. And eventually I got better at writing. And I was like, all right, I need to write some blogs. So I was writing blogs based on the customer archetype that Rugged Legacy was kind of poised to, right? You know, the outdoorsy guy, the blue collar guy, the uncelebrated man that Gillette hated because he was toxic. And so I wrote blogs that me being a part of that market would want to read. It was blogs about outlaws and why we love outlaws. It was blogs about how men view themselves and the way they see the world and they feel like the world sees them and what they have to do to navigate the world I was sort of writing blogs about that and they took off you know i mean i was sending blogs to like random strangers hey man read my blog never met him never talked to him but that's how we ended up being like friends you know he's like hey this is good i like you let's follow each other and bam you know that kind of thing happened it was very organic networking right i'm just sending blog links to people And a few years into that, uh, I think it was 2020. Yeah, it was 2020. Actually, no, it was December 2019. I said, you know what? In 2020, I'm going to have a paperback.
1: Head over to mensvictoryalliance.com and sign up for your free guide to leveling up in money, marriage, and mindset. Follow us on socials and YouTube to see what the MVA crew is up to. And so
2: January 2020, I sat down and started writing. And in February, I finished writing and that was that was empire divided. It was based on, you know, everything that we'd seen within the political spectrum, the way that, you know, people look like tribalism like it's a bad thing, but no matter how you avoid it, you end up sinking into some level of tribalism with whether it's your family, your peers, your clique in school, the group of people you hang out with at work, you know, you exclude other people from your friend group because they suck. And so that's tribalism. And it was more of a deep dive into I guess the internal side of uh, what it means to be a man and what drives a man.
0: It's a crazy story. You know, when you pick up something, you're interested, you go all in 7 million miles an hour. Like I've <laughs> seen it over and over again. And the fact that you decided to write a book and wrote it in a month, that's just another 35 days, 35 days on a book. I got to ask you just because I don't know the answer to this. Like I know your story. I know you, you know, spent some time living out of a motel. How did that happen? Like, how were you able to uh, flip the switch and become this super productive person that can jump all over new ideas and see them and execute them? Like, what happened? It was fear.
2: You know, I was working blue collar job and, but I was on the road. That's how I ended up in the motel. I was on the road all the time. I was uh, working with a general contractor and we traveled all over Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and I was home three days a month, but I got kids. I got a wife and gone all the time yeah, making good money. We got a great place to live. Got a, I got a nice motorcycle. I got a nice car. Kids are doing great. Everything's paid for and happy, but it's stress of just me not being there. My wife needs me, right? And so I didn't want to get a divorce and it, dude, we were arguing all the time. So like, you know what? I, I still have this mindset. If my wife and I were to split up at any point in time, I'm never going to get married again, like ever. Both of us might date or whatever, but I'm never going to tie the knot again. It's just This is the only one I'm going to do, right? No matter what happens. And I had zero interest in getting divorced. So I left that job, but this is 2010. This is when we're still reeling from the 2008 recession and where we were living out West, there's not really any manufacturing jobs. The only like blue collar jobs are construction jobs and those paid well. And so while no one is hiring for decent paying jobs, no one is quitting decent paying jobs either like I did. So I ended up having to get work at a freaking butcher shop. And then we ended up slowly losing everything because the butcher shop paid eight bucks an hour. So here I am like, okay, now we got to cut off the cable. Now we got to cut off the cell phones. Now we got to make payment arrangements for the uh, electric and water. And then, oh, we're getting evicted. Next thing you know, we're in a freaking motel and I'm working at one of those work today, get paid today places, beating the sledgehammer against concrete for eight to 10 hours a day. Take home after cashing the check at the gas station and walking back to the motel and buying food. I mean, I had fifty six bucks a day that I was having to split between food and saving up for the motel bill. When I finally, you know got a break from that was when my wife's sister came back from the Middle East. And so they moved in with her, and I came back to South Carolina. I got a factory job here. I worked McDonald's and odd jobs and stuff like that for a little bit. But when I got a factory job here, like almost four months after being gone, You know sending half of my mcdonald's check or whatever to my wife while she was living with her sister the job paid well and i i just dug in never again am i going to let this thing happen found a place to live was able to fly back out pick up my wife come home you know our home a place to live felt really weird having our own place for a while like it was like an adjustment the fear of ever letting it get back to that was like no i'm just going to double down work 100 hours a week if i have to And then just like anything, you start feeling burnout. So I ended up going, I don't think I can work at this freaking plant, you know, for another 30 years. And I'm talking to these guys that were like, oh, I can't wait to retire next week. Like, oh, how long you been here? Like 38 years. Screw that. These guys look beat up, broken down. Can't do that. So I just said, I'm not going to quit my job. But if I can work my ass off the way I do at my job, six, sometimes seven days a week for three weeks straight before we get one day off, then I can definitely put in some extra work on starting something of my own that will at least make it to where I don't need to
0: work so much overtime. And that was rugged legacy. Yeah, that was rugged legacy. So watching you back those couple of years, it seemed like as, especially when you left the job and, and focused full-time on Rugged Legacy, that was your number one priority. And now it seems like writing is your number one priority. So is that accurate? How did you learn that that was a switch you wanted to make as far as where to put your priority effort?
2: Well, The way that I was able to make Rugged Legacy profitable was by learning how to write copy. Because products do not sell themselves, whatever, it, no matter what anybody else says. I had to like dive in and learn everything I could about copywriting. And I didn't have a dollar to spare. Between everything I was already paying, so that was just trial and error and seeing what worked and copying what other people were doing and you know, just reverse engineering it to myself. I got really good at it, and then I realized I started seeing people were selling copywriting as a service. So I'm reaching out to other creators, other brands. I can fix your copy, and you can pay me for it. And I think it was like paying like a hundred bucks for a web page is what they would pay me. You want some product description, some sales copy, you know. But I got again, I got good at it. And then I started realizing I can charge more for this. And then always in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to write. I still got Hemingway, you know, in my head, shark hunting with a machine gun. Maybe one day I'll still get to do that. Man, I hope so. I doubled down into the writing and, you know, well, I'm good at copywriting. Maybe I can be good at creative writing. Then I did that. And it's something that, you know, it's it's easy to do something when you love it right it made it easier for me to really dive into honing my craft of being a writer because i loved writing and i love stories and i look at everything in stories that made it all easier and now i get to write for a living
0: yeah one thing i like to do during the episodes is like stop <laughs> and say what what is jeff doing here and he's following what he likes to do but there is no road map there's no gps coordinates to figure out what he's going to do he just starts to walk down the road and figure it out as he goes along. And we see the story overlap with anyone that succeeds entrepreneurially. You have to you have to just take a chance and go down that road and find find your own path. So that's really cool. Do you enjoy being on Twitter? You're so consistent on there and I see you interact with people and how you handle some people on there. It's quite amusing to watch. Is it is it fun for you to do?
2: Sometimes it's fun and sometimes I'll just say, you know what, I don't wanna be on Twitter for the next week and I'll write and schedule just a week's worth of tweets and never check a single notification, never check a single DM. I do not care sometimes. Yeah. You know? But I mean for the most part it's enjoyable because I get that's how I met you. You know, I, I met you through Zach and I met Zach on Twitter, you know, and it's how I met a lot of people that I've made a lot of money with and and partnered with, you know, like Dylan Madden, for example. You know, I met him on Twitter through I think it was Chance Lunsford, and he Turns out he's from Charleston, South Carolina, like three hours from me. So we hit it off. We became business partners, made each other a ton of money. So it's enjoyable when you look at what you can get out of it. But sometimes it's just I, I need to step all the way back and look at the real world. And I do that, too. But it's a balance. I look at Twitter like a job. I don't look at it as like, you know, it's a pastime. But I do enjoy my work. So it's it can be fun.
0: Yeah, twitter is an odd place for me i mean what you described is exactly it you can find really really good things out of it you just have to sift through a lot of bad things to find them and sometimes the bad things overwhelm the good things in the short term and i'm like ah i hate twitter but then you know i'm talking to you i'm probably not talking to you today if it wasn't for twitter so i gotta i gotta say it's a good thing overall another thing i wanted to ask you is so you're in a different place in your life now than you were even a couple years ago and certainly than you were a decade. How is it adjusting to things like, I know like you're I don't know, what do you want to what do you want to do next, and what do you want to do with your current success?
2: Well, my goal overall is to work hard enough to eventually get to a point where I never need to work to survive again. And I'm not working to survive right now. I enjoy what I do. But if I stop working, I'm eventually gonna have to work to survive. I'm in the building process now of putting it together to where one day I can, I'll be able to step back and be like those CEO shareholder guys that like show up to like one board meeting a year and just play Candy Crush. Working my way up to that, building everything that I'm building now. I love the outdoors. I love working with animals. I'm like, you guys could probably hear my chickens screaming in the back over here a few minutes ago. And I like being a part of a community. As well. So, my ultimate goal is buy more livestock, which I've been slowly acquiring over the last two years, uh, and expand to where I can sell beef straight to market, you know, and be you know, like around a small community, a small town, you know, where most people, most local places to eat and local stores get their beef from me. You know, I mean, I grew up do- around cows and horses anyway. You know, I mean, I <laughs> lived in a place called Cow Pens. <laughs> there's a reason it was named that. Right. And that's, that's what I want to do ultimately is something I can do build and then pass on to my kids. And if not, they can sell it all and split the money. I don't care. I'm going to be dead.
0: Never needing to work in the future. That was always my motivation too. everything. I did. It was with that goal in mind so that if I stopped now I could do that, but I don't want to stop. It's fun, but it's, it's all the difference in being able to have that be a choice and not mandatory. But you mentioned the word community, and that's how we know each other. We're in a community <laughs> together. And I know personally, the community has improved my life tremendously. And I interview people every week that say the same thing. But what, if you had to distill it down to two or three things, what has been the best part about being in the fraternity of excellence, our, our community?
2: You know, when you're in the military, you've got that guy next to you you know, on either side of you that if I called him at 2 a.m. and said, hey, man, I need to hide a body. He would be there. And that level of brotherhood is what makes the fraternity of excellence worth all the time I've put into there. And I've been in there, I think, like three, four years now. I could call any single member of the FOE at 2 a.m. and say, hey, I need to talk. They're gonna go, All right. What's up? I need advice. I need some help. That level of brotherhood, knowing that somebody out there has got my back and having... It's a pride thing too that I've got these guys' back, right? And being a part of something that's bigger than myself, helping other men get through things I've gone through or get through things that they're going through that I haven't, but I can offer my own perspective, whether it's helping them fix finances, helping them fix their marriage, helping them be better dads, get in shape, whatever, you know, l- learn to bust concrete with a sledgehammer. <laughs> I don't know, but whatever it is, that w- you know, we have a guy for that. And, that, and that's the strength is that it's a network of dudes that make your life easier while making you better. All you got to do is contribute.
0: So basically what i heard is you needed a community to help you hide bodies. Very good. Very good. I mean,
2: i mean yeah, <laughs> you know, i don't have that many pigs yet.
0: All right. So, sticking with the community, we met up this past summer at um where were we? In Tennessee or North Carolina, one of those states. It, it was both
2: because it was both. We were in we were staying in North Carolina and then we went to Tennessee to go caving.
0: There we go that's what it was so on site there were about 31 35 something like that guys and we had a campfire every night where we had some really deep discussions uh I got a lot out of them I learned some stuff about my brothers in there and I even learned some stuff about myself they were powerful events but during one of the nights you took the floor and told the best story I've ever heard and I don't even remember what it was about but I'll never forget the delivery and I've told some people about this I'm like It was like Morgan Freeman couldn't tell a story this good. (laughs) So there was a couple questions I wanted to ask about it. It was like, number one, did you deliberately work on your storytelling ability or was it a natural thing and has it improved? And like, where did that come from? Were you planning that or was that organic? That popped up on a whim, Mm.
2: right? But my storytelling is probably what it is. From the years of me being nose deep in a book all the time, yeah, it's kind of like what I tell a lot of people because it's cool on Twitter to be like, "Oh, I don't watch Netflix or I don't watch TV at all or I don't read fiction." I'm like, okay, but if you want to be a writer and you don't know how to tell stories, like the only way to tell, get good at telling stories is to know how stories work and consume stories. So that's probably where my storytelling ability came is because I just read all the time. You know, had every single Hardy Boys book ever. Right. And I'm reading like Clive Cussler at age 13 because my uncle loved it. But I think I think enjoying writing is what makes me uh, a better storyteller.
0: Glad you brought that up on the no TV and stuff, because sometimes I'm one of those guys. I'm like, whatever reason, my attention span doesn't go there. I want to read about business, but that's why I'm not a writer. And that's why you are like you truly enjoy it. And you followed that and you you can make a business out of almost whatever you're interested in. If you just reposition it into something that the market wa- wants. So now when you're watching movies, like that's market research. It's amazing. That's cool that you've made that part of your job. <laughs> going to wrap it up soon, but I, I definitely want to ask you about how your business and your personal growth has improved your family life. Cause I know you're, you're so happy these days and it's got to be going good at home. And you're a father of many. Uh, I know the number, you can tell the audience. So tell me about how that's gone.
2: Well, yeah, I've got nine, eight boys, one girl. The simple explanation for that is my wife just finds me irresistible and I can't keep her off. You know, I've, I've got no, I mean, I'm tired all the time because she just keeps trying. She keeps wanting to try. <laughs> but now, like, whole life when you're trying to survive is terrible if you're not good at stress management and my home life used to be terrible. If you're trying to survive and every, any marital situation that's in trouble, and it almost always boils down to resources and money. That's what like the biggest stressor in any household is. We don't have the money for this. Well, you shouldn't have took that day off to go fishing. Well, you should go get a job too. And yeah, all that other right? When you're just constantly stressed about money it's hard to enjoy anything else they say money doesn't buy happiness but it makes it a lot easier to be happy when your bills are paid not having to worry about surviving having bills paid makes it easier to have to like allocate certain you know amounts of bandwidth to just being a husband just being a dad and hanging out with the family and going to go Just randomly say, hey, babe, let's go get in the car. Where are we going? I don't know. We drove like 600 miles round trip because we decided to drive up to Tennessee and get a bite to eat and come back. Like, what'd you do in Tennessee? Oh, we just like found a restaurant and ate and came back. Like, that's all we did. But you can do stuff like that when you're not stressed about, well, shit, gas is $3 a gallon.
0: The money doesn't buy happiness. Quote. It's so funny. Like, who actually says that? We we always say they say money doesn't buy happiness, but who are those people? <laughs> like, I they're the-
2: wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think one of the common rebuttals to that was like, money doesn't buy happiness, but it does buy a race car. You never see a race car driver crying.
0: <laughs> there you go. Let's sum it up. <laughs> Last question what are men struggling with most and what is the one step they can take to turn it around? Cause we deal with this stuff all the time in the fraternity. So what's your take on that?
2: I think most men are miserable. I think this was a quote from my book. I don't know. It might be from someone else's book, but I'll take credit for it here. Anyway, men are trapped in this deep malaise because they're living a life that isn't in alignment with what they want. It's, it, they're not, living in alignment with who they really are they're they're stuck in this groundhog day existence right the only difference is they're not doing what bill murray ended up doing in the movie they're not going all right well how do i gain this system how do i start like learning the patterns how do i start okay well i'm learning the patterns to help me how about i learn the patterns to enrich others and that's how he ended up breaking the cycle and finally waking up on february 3rd is he? started living his life in a way that was enriching others and helping others. It took him helping everybody in the town to get out of the, out of the loop. Right. I think the biggest thing men struggle with is they're living a life that they don't believe in. They're just trying to get by. They're just going from one day to the next. It's, you know, it's like the nine inch nail song. Every day is exactly the same. Every day can be the same if every day is good. If every day has a purpose, if it's driving towards something, that's great. But if you're just trying to make it through to the end of it, that's, that's not living. That's just existing. And I think the reason they struggle is because they don't think they can do anything else. You know, they think they somehow need a sign or permission to just go and live. You know, you see guys ask their, yeah, yeah, the guys ask questions all the time. Like, Hey babe, uh, do you mind if I go fishing? And I'm not saying, you know, just go fishing without telling your wife, but that simple line of thinking of I need permission to go fishing. I need permission to start a business. I need permission to say what I like and don't like, because other people might have a problem with it. No, you don't.
0: And we could talk for a lot more on this line just because uh, (laughs) I talk to guys all the time and they're, they're seeking permission. And, not only is it not the right way to do it, but then the person you're seeking permission starts to resent you, especially if they're, if they're a female, but the world also doesn't give you what you want. If you're seeking permission from the world, you don't get respect from the people you're seeking permission from. You get respect by making your own decisions. So I think you're really on the right track. I haven't heard that answer, but that's more of a 10,000 foot answer. And I, I think you're getting at a lot of the core. People are conforming to others, not making their own decisions, asking for permission. I love that.
2: Or they're just afraid to even ask because sometimes you can ask and get a good answer, but they're still living a life that they don't want because they think that's what they're supposed to do. But I've just fallen in with the, you know, the, the societal expectations. I'm supposed to go to work, come home, go to work, come home, take off on the weekends, go to work, come home. No one told you you had to do that. You just started doing it because everyone else was. You're right. It's conformity. No one told you, you can't be like, you know what? I am gonna start a side hustle. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm going to mow grass. Or I'm going to wash cars. I'm going to make some extra money. You can do that. No one told you you had to, you know, do it the way you're doing it now. You're just doing it because you think it's expected.
0: You save the best for the last, like take that and run with it. If you're listening, cause I think Jeff's wife is calling. She wants to make another baby, so I got to <laughs> let him go, but you can find him on Twitter at rugged underscore legacy. Anywhere else you want to drop?
2: Yeah, you can find uh, almost everything uh, linking to me at jeffputnamauthor.com.
0: There we go. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Men's Victory Alliance. We need your help in spreading the light to other men who need it. Please leave a rating and review so we can grow and get the message out. Visit mensvictoryalliance.com and stay in touch by subscribing to the email list. You will receive a PDF written by Jeff Higgins for signing up. Follow us on socials and YouTube. We are always working on providing value to the man who is looking to level up and win.